It is true. I do love to preach. But it's one thing to love to preach. It's another thing to love the people to whom you preach and the God uh, of whom I preach. And so it's a joy to be with you today, a joy to be with the church family. I've I've been with you for quite a number of years. It's kind of off and on just to preach the Word of God and to feed you the truth of Scripture. And it's my, my joy to be in the Word during the week and to study the Word and then to preach the Word of God to you. It's just a great joy. I also found out this week, I, I didn't know that there was a pastoral search that had been going on, and it was mentioned last Sunday. And um, I, I emailed and I said, how can I be praying? What's going on? And, and I was able to get a little bit of the update of, of Lucas and how God is working in his life and his family and then also in the church family here. So I want you to know I'm praying for you and I'm praying with you. And um, it is very important to have a man of God, a man of God who loves the God of the Word, the truth of the Word, the preaching of the Word of God, a man who is able to teach the Word of God, and someone who will shepherd the flock of God rightly and humbly. So I'm praying with you and for you, and I trust that God will provide the right man in his time. Let's pray before we look into the Word. We thank you, Father, that we can gather this afternoon and open up your word, which is breathed out from your very own mouth. Every word, every line, every verse, every chapter, every book, the whole word of God is true and reliable and sufficient and trustworthy. We thank you that you have loved us, that you have revealed yourself to us, in the pages of Scripture, so that we might know you, that we might understand who we really are, and see our great and desperate need for a God-given Savior. Thank you for the Lamb of God who has been provided for the salvation of our sins and of our souls. We thank you and praise you. Teach us now as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go to the Word of God in the book of Revelation. If you would, join me in Revelation chapter 5. I love the book of Revelation because Revelation highlights and it extols the glory of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He conquers. He triumphs. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And even in the world in which we live, we need to remember that this world and the prince of this world will not have the victory, but Jesus Christ has the victory because he and he alone is God. And so it's my joy to preach Revelation chapter 5 today, verses 9 and 10. And just follow with me. I want to read the passage, and then I want to set it before you. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. I want to read it, and then I'll preach through it. Phrase by phrase. Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. This is the word of the living God. 
John the Baptist said about this one, Behold, the Lamb of God. According to Revelation chapter 15, the song in heaven is called the song of the Lamb. Many, according to the book of Revelation, will wage war with Jesus Christ and with all of the redeemed. Many will rise up in rebellion against the Lord Jesus, but the Lamb will overcome all of them. When we think about this language of the lamb, as we read about in Revelation chapter 5, this language of lamb recalls the Old Testament sacrifices. It's meant to take our mind back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And there's a couple of themes that sort of join together as we think about this concept of lamb. The first theme that comes to our mind is that of a silence. Silence. A lamb is silent. Uh, Meaning, the the lamb is resigned, humble, meek, gentle. Uh, The lamb is led to the slaughter without a fight. Without a fight. But not only is there the theme of silence, there's also the theme of substitution. When we think about the lamb all through the word of God, we think about the theme of substitution. That the lamb suffered in the stead of the guilty. He died in the place of the guilty so that others may may live. A third theme that we see running through the word of God when we think about this concept of lamb is the idea of satisfaction. Not just silence, not just substitution, but satisfaction. That the lamb died to satisfy God's just demands. That's that's what God required. And the lamb died to satisfy the just demands of God. That was God's plan. That was his design in the Old Testament through all the sacrifices and culminating in the Lord Jesus and his perfect sacrifice on the cross. I want you to survey with me just for a moment, just in our minds as we think about the book of Revelation, the the beauty of the Lamb, the power of the Lamb, the glory of the Lamb. Revelation 6, verse 16, describes the Lamb as one who is full of holy wrath. We read in Revelation 7, verse 9, that the Lamb is the very center point of heaven. All heaven is seeking to aim its focus on the Lamb. Later in Revelation 7, verse 10, the Lamb is the accomplisher of the salvation of men. In Revelation 7, 14, it is the Lamb who washes sinners clean by his blood. According to Revelation 7, verse 17, it is the Lamb who tenderly guides his sheep. What a great lamb he is. In Revelation 13, verse 8, the lamb redeems all of those who have been written in the book of life. In Revelation 14, 10, it is the lamb who will torment all unbelievers forever in hellfire. According to Revelation 17, 14, the lamb is opposed by evil Babylon, but the lamb will triumph over all. According to Revelation 20, 2 and verse 3, the lamb will be served by all of his slaves forevermore. And finally, in Revelation 19, verse 9, the lamb 
invites. He invites all to come to the marriage. Oh, there is a great marriage supper of the Lamb, and he invites all to come and to enjoy and to believe and to trust and to find the eternal life that he and he alone can give. Revelation 4 and 5 highlights the glory of the work and the power and the salvation and the beauty of the Lamb. And Revelation 4 and 5 is is this unit that God has given in the Bible whereby we can find encouragement for our souls while living here, remembering that God is the God of victory. He is the God who triumphs. He is the God who is Lord over all. Revelation 4 and 5 is almost like a, a, a glimpse, a magnificent glimpse into the worship of heaven. So when you get discouraged, here are a couple of great chapters that you can turn to even on your knees and say, Lord, encourage my soul, not in the things here in this realm, but in the triumph of the Lamb in heaven. Remind me of such things because Revelation 4 centers on the throne of majesty. And then Revelation 5 centers on the Lamb of glory. Revelation 4 is all about the throne. Revelation 5 centers on the Lamb. And interestingly, at the end of Revelation 5, the passage after what we are looking at, we learn about the angels. I mean, all the angels who join together to praise the Lamb. At the end of Revelation 5, verses 13 and 14, all creatures join in the praise of the Lamb. So here we are in this amazing section where there is an offering of praise to the Father and the Son, which is another evidence of the deity of Jesus Christ. He is God, and he deserves worship, and he does receive worship forever in heaven. And I have in my notes here that there's so much theology here, and we don't have the time to flesh it all out, but all of the doctrines of grace are found right here in these verses in Revelation chapter 5. There is atonement theology, but there's also soul-comforting theology as well, and we need both. We need both. But before we dig in here, let me just share this with you. It's like the curtain is pulled back, and you and I get to glimpse into heaven. We, 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 get to, we get to hear the worship of heaven. And I want to tell you that the worship in heaven is full of singing. And it's loud, and it's corporate, and it's Christ-centered, and it's thoughtful, meaning it remembers the cross. And the worship in heaven is undistracted. Don't you long for that day when you can worship in an undistracted way? And they all sing to the Lamb. Everyone in heaven worships the Lamb. So Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10 is going to sort of catapult us. We're going to be launched into another realm. We're going to be looking into heaven. We're going to hear the song of praise in heaven. And it focuses on the redemption of the Lamb. So Christian, I want you to consider your redemption today. And I want to talk about your redemption. I want to preach on your redemption. And I want you to gaze upon the beauty of your redemption from the text. 
I want to give you just a couple of main headings as you're taking notes that you can jot down. They're simple phrases, but I hope that as we go through almost word by word and phrase by phrase that you will be able to behold the Lamb and worship the Lamb, delight in the Lamb, and praise Him. No greater way we could spend our time than beholding the Lamb and worshiping the Lamb now which is what all true believers will be doing forever in glory, forever and ever and ever. So consider your redemption with me. Number one, if you're taking notes, let's first consider the supreme price of your redemption. Consider the supreme price of your redemption. And and that's where we begin in verse 9. We read about they who are singing a song. It's a new song in heaven. These are the living creatures, the 24 elders. These are the worshipers in heaven. Not only the angelic worshipers, but but the people who have been redeemed in heaven because there is one who has authority to take the scroll and to open it. Look at verse 9. Look at this glorious song. They sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Earlier, John was weeping because no one was found. No one in heaven, no one on earth could be found who had the authority and the dignity and the prerogative and the, and the divine godhood to open this scroll. No one could be found. And John begins to weep. And the angel says, why are you weeping? The lamb. The lamb is worthy to open the scroll. So verse 9, heaven responds, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals for you were slain. You were slain. The Bible talks about this all over. One scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, you have been bought with a price, that is with a, with a very high cost. You have been redeemed of infinite value through the person and work of the Lamb. Why? Because a soul is of incalculable worth. And the Lamb was slain to redeem sinners. Notice carefully, if you look again at your translation in verse 9, notice it's passive. You were slain. We see here that, that Jesus endured the price. He died so that you could live. And as we think about Jesus and his incarnation and the work that brought about this redemption, consider that the Lamb came down from heaven to earth, born of a virgin, born under the law, to obey the law of God in every possible way. He obeyed the Father, not only from his very earliest of days, never having sinned, never having broken the law, absolutely obedient in every way, but yet also passively he received the sufferings that the Father brought to him and upon him. We see the price of his incarnation, the price of his obedience, the price of his sufferings, and indeed the price of Jesus' death, that he even went to the cross, as Paul said in Philippians, even death on a cross. Take the judgment and the wrath of God. He died so that you could live. He was slain so that you could live forevermore. 
What a price, what a love, what a loving and a supreme gift from this lamb. I think of the way Isaac Watts put it in his well-known and beloved hymn, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. One of the verses is this, Thy body slain, sweet Jesus thine, and bathed in its own blood, while all exposed to wrath divine, the glorious sufferer stood. That's what he did. He took the wrath of God. He was slain. And the the song of heaven and the worshipers in glory, they remember the lamb. They remember the lamb. What a supreme price that he was slain. But not only do I want you to consider first the supreme price that the lamb had to be slain. But second, if you're taking notes, I want you to consider with me second the sovereign worker of your redemption. The sovereign worker of your redemption. Because again in verse 9, heaven is worshiping and they say, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. And what this brings us to is the very distinguishing factor that marks out Christianity from every other religion in the world that teaches that man works, that man achieves, that man cooperates his own salvation. That's what the world teaches. But verse 9 says, You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed for God. You ransomed. And I want you to ponder that word, you ransomed. Because the idea of ransomed is the idea of a purchase. It means to buy. It means to make a payment. It means that that you make a payment so that you can own something as your own possession. Who, Who did the purchasing? Who worked out your salvation? Who achieved this? Well, the text says in verse 9, all heaven's worship affirms, speaking to the Lamb, you. You have ransomed. You have purchased. Consider with me the sovereign plan of the Father. The sovereign plan of the Father even before eternal time, 2 Timothy 1 tells us. Even before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 tells us. That God the Father had this great grand design and decree of salvation. He had a perfect plan. And the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, came and sovereignly purchased all of those whom the Father Had given him. When the Bible talks about you and I being redeemed by Christ, it means that you have been bought out of slavery. So that Christians, you and I, have been brought out of slavery to sin. It means that the death of Christ was the price paid for your freedom from the bondage of sin. The death of Jesus Christ is how God redeemed us from our slavery to sin. So by the death of Jesus on the cross, Christ, as our lamb, was slain for us. He has made peace between us and God. He took our guilt upon himself. He conquered the most deadly enemy that is Satan and death. And he assaged and satisfied the full wrath of God. 
that was directed towards you because of your sin. It's an amazing, amazing song. You ransomed. It's not I, Jeff, ransomed or we ransomed. It's not your works have ransomed. It's not your good efforts have ransomed. It's not your religious experience. No, no, no. It's speaking to the lamb, you have ransomed. He alone is the sovereign worker of your redemption. I love the way even in church history Anselm put it. He said, the debt was so great that while man alone owed the debt, only God could pay it. Only God could pay it. See, no mortal could ever atone for his own sins to the immortal God, to the infinite God, to the perfect and just God. Don't you love that hymn by Augustus Toplady, Rock of Ages? Remember when he wrote in that stanza, Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. What, what, what a great verse of hymnody because he understood the teaching of the scriptures. That the lamb alone is the sovereign worker of your salvation. He alone is the one who saves. By the way, it would be a good place to even ask this question to all who are present, even boys and girls, children as well. Has this lamb accomplished the redemption of your soul? Have you been purchased? Have you been bought? Have you been redeemed? Are you free from the bondage of your sin? Can you say with the hymn writer that could all of my zeal no rest, no, no respite, no. Could I just cry with tears of sadness forever? No, it could never atone for my sins. You must save and you alone. Is that your heart cry today? That Jesus alone is my Savior. He alone is the one who has redeemed my soul. If that is not your cry and your affirmation and your confidence, then you turn to the Lord you turn to the Lamb. He's the one in Revelation who said, come, come to the marriage supper. The Spirit and the bride also say, come and know this great Redeemer. But not only do we see here the supreme price in verse 9, and we see the sovereign worker in verse 9, but now I want you to look with me again in verse 9. Third, if you're taking notes, I want you to consider the secure destination of your redemption. The secure destination. Because the text says, you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. For God. You know, if you and I were walking by, and let's just say we saw this spider's web outside our front door, say, and you just stop and you marvel at the intricacy of that design. Or maybe you and I consider the human body and just the, the, the intricate design of God in the human body. We would marvel. Consider the gospel plan and the divine design of God for the redemption of our soul. And we marvel at this divine design. 
Do you see here in verse 9? You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people. Don't miss this phrase, for God. Why did Jesus die? And to whom did he offer himself? You see, the text says in verse 9, In heaven they are praising the Lamb because Jesus the Lamb died, he redeemed, he offered himself, and ransomed people for God. Or maybe literally in the Greek, to God. When Jesus died, he offered himself to God. Now, this is important because in the early church, in the early centuries, there was this teaching that was floating around that Jesus did not die and make a payment necessarily to God, ultimately, but to Satan, that he had to die and ransom people from Satan. But that's not what the text says. Jesus did not die and make payment to devils. He did not die and make payment to demons. Jesus offered himself fully to God. As a sacrifice, as a propitiation, as an atonement, Jesus died for God. And if we all could open up our Greek Bibles here in front of us and read what John wrote in the Greek order, this is the emphatic phrase. In the word order, John shuffles shuffles it around and he puts this first, that he died for God. He gave himself to God. And he died to reconcile you to God. He died so that you can call him father. He died so that you can have eternity with him. I love the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. Peter writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God. Or in Hebrews chapter 9, in Hebrews 9 verse 14, speaking of the work of Christ on the cross, that he offered himself to God, the author of Hebrews says. And so when we, when we look carefully at the worship of heaven, there is a secure destination that Jesus offered himself to God for you. What a sacrifice. What a secure destination that you can't do anything to add to this. You can't do anything to make it more secure. You can't do anything to to bring yourself to God in addition to what Jesus has already done. He offered himself and redeemed people to God. What a secure, what a secure destination. And Maybe if you haven't pondered that before, consider that as even tonight over dinner, even tomorrow morning in your prayer time, that Jesus offered himself to God. To God for me on the cross as that offering for our sin. What an amazing Savior he is. And we behold the Lamb and we behold his redemption and we gaze upon heaven's worship of the Lamb. Which leads us then to a fourth reality that I want you to consider as you're taking notes here. Number four, I want you to consider with me the substitutionary payment of your Redemption, the substitutionary payment. And maybe this is the very heartbeat of Christianity. This is what makes a Christian a Christian. This is what makes the gospel the gospel. Without it, there is no gospel. I love this. Verse 9. 
The text says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood. By your blood. How, how did Jesus redeem you? You and I go to the grocery store and maybe you give, give them your credit card. Maybe you pay cash. Maybe you, you go somewhere and you pay with another means of payment, silver or gold in the ancient world, Paul put it in 1 Peter 1. How did Jesus purchase you? Answer, verse 9, heaven says, by your own blood. Meaning, he truly had to die. He truly had to die. Because sin brings death, Romans 6.23 and by his blood, I think, also signifies the wrath-bearing nature of the atonement. That when Jesus the Lamb died, he died in order to appease, to satisfy, to quench, to absorb divine fury. He died for us. And we were redeemed by the substitute, he died in our stead. He shed his blood for your gain. He died on your behalf. He died, as the Puritans would say, in your room. So you don't have to. He died as the Passover lamb, as the innocent one that didn't do anything wrong. He suffered for you, the one who is guilty and has done everything wrong. The cleansing blood. The blood cleanses. The blood washes. And, and Paul brings this out in Romans chapter 3. And perhaps the, the Mount Everest of Christian theology and atonement theology in Romans chapter 3. We read in verse 21. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. That the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Salvation is in the blood of Christ. It's by the death of the Savior it comes through the substitutionary payment of the Lamb. Christian, this is our boast. This is our hope. This is where your eternal destiny has made secure. It's made secure not in what you pay to God, but in what Jesus has offered to the Father by his death, through his blood, for your gain. I love the way B.B. Warfield put it. The cross is placarded before the eyes of all. And our hearts are filled with loving remembrance of not only that Jesus gave us salvation, but that he paid a mighty price for it as our substitute. May your heart be filled with praise and thanks and wonder today that God has given himself for you.
So as we peek into heaven's worship, as we consider the worship in heaven, we see forth the substitutionary payment of your redemption. But let me give you just another point as we continue to walk through verse 9. And and let me give you number 5. I want you to consider, number 5, the sweeping scope of your redemption. The sweeping scope of your redemption. As if all of this could not get any better, and it could not get more grand, and it could not get more free. Verse 9, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. What a God. This is far different than just saying, well, i I'm I'm of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. I'm a Jew, and sorry, there's no salvation for the Gentiles. No, that's not at all what the text says and the Song of Heaven is all about. Oh, the Lamb purchased people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. This is the far-reaching, sweeping scope, the swathing scope of redemption. Out of, out of. We have in the ESV, from every. The idea is out of. From all of the extremities, from every tribe, from every people, from every culture, every continent. Ponder with me the people of God across all the continents of the world. The countries of the world. The cultures of the world, the villages, the people groups, the dialects, all the categories. Imagine the the beautiful plan of God, the sweeping scope of redemption that the Lamb has people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Now you're in Revelation 5. Just look down to Revelation chapter 7 with me. And look at Revelation 7. Let's just begin in verse 9. Just let your eyes scan with me that the beauty of God and the sweeping scope of the Lamb's redemption. Verse 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation... From all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving, and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Do you see here through the eye of faith the great multitude? The multitude in heaven. Not, everybody's not just going to look like me and you. Different people, different backgrounds, different languages, different cultures, different ethnicities, different tribes, different continents. Same lamb. Same gospel. Same price that was paid to redeem sinners. And I think that's why John Calvin, in fact, we sang it, I loved it. Last week, we sang this great hymn that John Calvin wrote, I greet thee who my sure redeemer art, 
my only trust and savior of my heart, who pain didst undergo for my poor sake, I pray thee from our hearts all cares to take. But then he said this in another verse, our hope is in no other save in thee. Our faith is built upon thy promise free. Oh, grant to us such stronger hope and sure that we can boldly conquer and endure. That's what, that's what God does. He works in us a great desire, a worship, a praise, and an affirmation that this land is our hope. Whatever political party may be in leadership, Whatever country, whatever government, whatever laws of jurisdiction, there's one true king who has redeemed sinners from every tribe. And that is the confession of people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And notice, if we had the time, we could go into verse 10 and all the beautiful detail. Look back at chapter 5, verse 10. What does God do? What does the Lamb of God do to the people whom he redeems? Verse 10, you have made them. This is what the song of heaven is affirming. You, Lamb of God, you have made your people whom you died for, the elect of God, the purchased ones of the Lamb, a kingdom. And they are priests to our God. Oh, and they shall reign. Upon the earth. What a, what a lamb. What a gospel. What a secure work that is found in this Redeemer. You know, as we draw this to a close, you say, I, I, I love this theology. I love this doctrine that we learn about Christ and, and the fullness of his redemption and, and what the Lamb did in our place, but I don't want it to just be mere intellectual knowledge. I want you to consider with me your particular redemption. This atonement that the Savior achieved for you, and you know what? It ought to so affect you that you thank him fully and you cast off all works, all confidence in yourself. Any shred of hope that you have from within yourself, I thank the lamb for what he did fully and totally and completely for my soul. We, we ought to be thankful, thankful for this work. I want you to consider, second, the security that you have, Christian, in this Lamb's redemption. You can rest in the Lamb's work. And you don't need to doubt, because if and when you do doubt, that means that your eyes at that moment have been taken off of the Lamb and onto self. And you're finding that you don't measure up in that moment. And that's true, we don't. Reaffix your heart upon the Lamb. And upon his work on the cross. Christian, consider those of us in the kingdom, priests to our God, reigning on the earth, that you have a wise, you have a good, you have a sovereign king. And so you can study and love and you can trust your good-hearted king. You can trust in him. And you know what? 
Maybe one more thing that needs to be said by way of application here as we look at the song of heaven about the lamb. This is heaven's song. And guess what? Heaven is not about me. And it's not about you. And we live in an age, we live in a day, we live in a world where social media and all this stuff is sort of like the world revolves around self. Heaven doesn't revolve around me and you. Heaven is about the Lamb. It's about the Lamb. And as we look forward to that day when we will be there, let's praise Him now. And may our lives center on the Lamb now while we live in this life. I want to close with a lady I've never met, but I look forward to meeting her in glory. I trust you have heard of her as well. Her name is Fanny Crosby. She was a blind hymn writer, and she loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, testimony about her is she memorized nearly the whole New Testament. She wrote a hymn in 1882 that remembered her conversion, how the Lord had saved her. And on one occasion, she said, I, I write many hymns and I describe the joys of my salvation, but, but there is one hymn that just stands out to me above all the others that I've written. And it's the hymn, Redeemed, How I Love to Proclaim It. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, his child and forever I am. May that be your heart of praise as well today as you reflect on the beautiful, saving, sufficient work of the Lamb of God who died for you. Let's pray. Worthy are you, O Lord. Worthy are you, our Lamb, to receive power and riches and honor and might and glory forever and ever. Thank you for your perfect work on the cross for our salvation, redeemed how we love to proclaim it. We thank you for this beautiful, perfect, saving redemption. In Jesus' name, amen.